Welcome to Digital Salsa Radio, and thank you for tuning in. DS Radio is a new way of looking at business from a Latino perspective. DS Radio is all about showcasing unique speakers and programs that will help you succeed in business, offering new resources and ideas for collaboration, startups, best practices, and more. DS Radio, we're on the air for success. Hey, this is Alex Shaparo, your Digital Salsa Radio podcast host. I am excited to be here with you today in our second episode of DSR in our Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion series. We also are going to be running Tandem, the Entrepreneur's Blueprint. So be on the lookout for our first episode with that stream of content coming soon. Without further delay, I'd like to jump into our conversation with our guest today. If you've aspired to get into a career, diversity, equity, and inclusion, or be a diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner, this is the episode for you. We have an amazing guest who has had decades of of experience around this area and is about to share his insights and really a roadmap to launching a career as a DEI practitioner. So come join us for the second episode of Digital Salsa Radio Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here with a great friend of mine, somebody I'm super excited super excited to have uh, on uh, the Digital Salsa Radio podcast, and it is Cesar Lastenau. How are you, Cesar? Terrific, Alex. Good to be with you, man. It's It's been too long, and I'm glad we're getting connected through this uh, platform here. So thanks for Thank the invitation. You. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we, we have uh, had some great guests um, on the uh, Digital Salsa Radio uh, podcast. And you certainly bring a different spin to things, which I'm really excited about because of all, all the, the, the focus and attention and talk that comes around the world of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we are going to have a great, great conversation around that. And you, sir, are definitely a, a, nat- a national expert. Uh, and a leader, and you live and breathe it in everything that you do. So let's, uh, you know, before we get into that, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, and tell us a little little bit about uh, Caesar. Happy to share, and, and I hope to inspire your audience here with just some some good thought to, to lean into diversity and inclusion. At minimum, learn a little bit more about the profession and the field. So I'll share a little bit of my personal background and then professional background. Uh, Personally, it's an immigrant story for me. I was born in Peru, in Lima, Peru. My parents moved to the U.S. when I was eight. So like a lot of maybe your listeners kind of came at an adolescent, didn't speak a word of English, moved to Chicago, cold Chicago. I remember that vividly compared to warm Lima, Peru and have lived in Chicago ever since I was eight. So in terms of my personal upbringing, my mom and dad, my younger brother Gustavo and I just grew up in a sort of traditional four-person house in the Albany Park neighborhood of Chicago's Northwest Side community. So that's what I call home. In fact, I still have an affinity for that area. Went to high school at the Chicago, through the Chicago public school systems at Roosevelt High School, did all my post high school education here in Illinois at the University of Illinois Urbana, 
uh, took some classes at Nepal, and then, of course, through the online wave, just continued my self-evolvement education through schools outside of the state of Illinois. On a professional note, uh, I'm a, more than a 20-year professional. As I mentioned, uh, out of the University of Illinois, I started my career actually in finance and accounting field. So pretty much had that upbringing. My dad was an accountant in Peru, so I always had that in my vision in terms of like, I want to be like my dad. So it was always skewed towards business. have had experience in a couple financial analyst roles early in my career, then moved on to operations roles, then moved on to technology project management, landing to where I am today, practicing diversity and inclusion, something that finally I landed in terms of after 25 years of professional experience into something that's near and dear to my heart. And that's where I am today. Awesome. Awesome. That, that's, a, that's a great story. And now in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, you know, it's, it's something that, that many of us have been working towards in terms of building a stronger, diverse um, uh, framework uh, within um, our workplace. And, you know, just share a little story with you that I think that, that you'll love. Um, one day I was on a business trip and I got upgraded to uh, first class. So I'm sitting in first class and I started talking to the guy. It's like a four hour flight. And we talked about, we became like, like uh, best buds instantly. And we're talking for the whole four hours. And during that time, we do not ask each other anything necessarily personal, but it was just talking about things that we were interested in. It just seemed like we were, interested in the same things. So then uh, as the pilot says, okay, you know, we'll be landing in 30 minutes. Um, I said, by the way, what do you do? And he goes, I, you know, I work for a trade association for uh, veterinarians. And it was a large animal veterinarians. So it was like, you know, not cat and dogs. It was the big, the big, the big guys. Right. So uh, he goes, what do you do? And I go, I, I'm in, you know, I told him I was, I, you know, supported diversity in many different ways. And he goes, well, that's what I do that's what I do for my trade organization. And I'm like, wow, I've sat here for four and a half hours with this guy and we're in the same industry and we didn't know it. And, and, he, and he, what he said to me next, and this was many years ago, stuck with me for, for ever since then, you know, as far as the importance of what we do. He goes, the reason why I am committed to diversity is because when you have people from different places in the world, and you bring that cultural diversity to the table, your chances of problem solving and solving any problems that you have in your business increase tremendously. Having that diversity, you can solve any problem. You can solve anything. You can go wherever you need to go when you have diversity at the table. And you're you're a big driver of that, not only in terms of business, but in in terms of service and volunteerism. But how? What are you know? Companies hear about this, but what is what is your approach to it, and and what are the benefits of truly having an inclusive workplace environment? Yeah, that's a powerful question, Alex. My approach varies really. It's it's very much in line with what I call situational leadership. Meaning, depending on who I'm talking to, who the audience is, I'll come in with what's the right narrative for that person to think about diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
give you a specific example. In a corporate environment, I'm going to lead with the data. And I'm fortunate because I'm, I work for a real estate franchise, Century 21, and leaders that also follow the data and they understand the potential of diverse homeownership trends. So that means business for us. In the context of, for example, a non-for-profit organization or, or my neighbor or anyone else who I'm just having a casual conversation about diversity and inclusion, the narrative can change. It's one where perhaps, depending on where that person is, I can flat out say, this is the right thing for you to do. And history shows that you have a moral obligation to build a more equitable, a more diverse, and a more inclusive team environment with your teams, with your community, with your school, with your church, because there's a lot of things that have not been just for many, many years. And, and the murder of George Floyd is a perfect example of that, you know, where we, we, I think, have a moral obligation to say, well, I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. I'm also blessed because I also happen to have, work for an organization that understands the numbers and also understands it's the right thing to do. I think when you put both of those into the equation, that's how I particularly drive diversity and inclusion, how I get the narrative out to the right audience based on that situation in order to progress. That's fantastic. Now, when companies or, you know, and, and it can be at any level, you know, we're, we're both in the housing industry and it could be a realtor developing a team or a broker owner owning an office, uh, a lender. Uh, it could be any, anybody in, any, in anything that we do. Um, what are the first steps uh, do you find that a practitioner could take to start recruiting to diversity? Well, the very first thing that I think anyone can take towards recruiting diversity, and, and this applies to many other kind of new projects, is understanding, sort of getting a current state, analyzing who I'm going to recruit, as an example, and make sure that I am very purposeful and mindful as to what I need to do to recruit that diverse candidate. Let me give it a specific example, and you're a perfect example of this in your line of work. As you think about recruiting for the other, as one of my old college professors used to say in the diversity and inclusion space, you need to understand the other to be successful. If you're not going to take the time to increase your own cultural attunement, to increase what their world and how they may view the world, you may not necessarily be as successful to recruit them. It'll seem very transactional. And in fact, I think you will fail very, very quickly because that prospect or that person may see that, may see the authenticity. And in fact, they'll probably pick it up right, right away to say, this is just too fake. You know, you're, you're, you're translating the language, but you're not making sense as an example. And right away, they'll tune you out and they'll tune out whatever you're trying to sell, whatever organization you're representing. So that's why I say the very first step is to just understand that person, just like you would for just about anything that you're looking to, uh, you know, uh, build a partnership or a relationship with. Let's get to know them. Let's get to know them for who they are, what they're about, what their values are, what they like, what they don't dislike. But at the same time, see that person for who they are. And not necessarily go in there with biases saying, well, that person looks like they're part of the Asian American community. So I'm going to make some assumptions that I know what they may think or think about or that what they may like. You always want to be mindful of things that you know and understand about that community, but also see that person for who they are, which may not be in line with what you see at times. Right. 
it's 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 really important to to open those doors of dialogue and getting to know people, um, not only from a cultural standpoint but from a human standpoint to know who they are. Um, so that's that's a, that's those are are, are great 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 insights. Um, let's let's take it um, in terms of getting people together in terms of uh, liked interests. Uh, when you look at the the real estate world. You know, you, you look at real estate from a trade association, you have the, the National Association of Realtors, you know, big, mega, multi, you know, there's millions of members. Um, but there's also the diversity trade organizations, the NIRAP, which both of us are members, our National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals. And then, then there's um, several other diversity trade organizations that are driving um, awareness and advocating for the growth of these these uh, markets, um, how does that help um, a, a practitioner to get more involved? And does it help with learning and opening doors of the understanding that you had mentioned? It's a tremendous help to invest and kind of lean into these diversity groups, Alex, because it goes back to what I'm sharing. You need to understand the market to better serve that market. So in in the example in our world at Century 21, a lot of my coaching for the non-Hispanic agents, for example, is to get involved with NARAP at their local chapters, to interact with the agents that represent that community, whether it's NAREB for the African-American group or ARIA. I think a, a savvy business leader or practitioner, as you say, will be mindful of leveraging these nonprofit organizations to better understand those cultures and then consequently better serve those communities, get more business outcomes, better understand that community to serve that community, perhaps even speak the language, uh, perhaps even hire, be more mindful of hiring, for example, Spanish speaking agents. You, when, you, when you sort of lean into groups like that, you'll really understand what the need is and it's the business outcome that's going to come out of that. Too often, some people, because of fear and other emotions, choose not to engage with those groups. And that's a disservice to them because then they're kind of limiting their own growth and their own business savviness for possible client engagement, for possible team recruitment. So, you know, I always encourage those to kind of get out of their comfort zone and it's scary and sometimes it's not even comfortable and I can almost guarantee you that eventually it will be. And if you just kind of stick with it, make it part of your plan and lean into organizations like NAREP and ARIA and learn and seek to understand and see for who they are, you'll understand all the commonalities and you'll walk away saying, gosh, you know, I never thought about this market as something to help me grow in. But yet now that I better understand it, I'm not as afraid to approach it. And in fact, I know based on conversations from NAREP, uh, lectures that I've been a part of, or NAREP or ARIA networking receptions that I've learned and picked up, I now know how to better serve this particular market and perhaps even increase my portfolio of customers that they look very different than me. Now, just for, for the benefit of the, the audience, um, what are, can you, um, we, we rattled off a, a bunch of acronyms and organizational names. Can you go through the, the big ones that you go, that you're a member of and, and just sort of call out what the acronym stands for? Absolutely. So there are several that Century 21 are proud sponsors of. 
and, and they happen to be the big ones. And they happen to be the ones that I'm also familiar with and involved with. Uh, the biggest one is the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals. You call that out earlier, a national group of Hispanic serving really industry practitioners, mortgage lenders, real estate, title professionals, attorneys. The beauty about NAREP, it's just, it, it is the country's largest trade organization for Hispanics. So for those of us in this profession, it gives us access to the biggest network with chapters in pretty much all the big metropolitan cities and chapters as big as 1000 members, as well as chapters as small as a couple hundred members. So that's a terrific uh, group to be involved with. The second biggest one that Realogy and Century 21 is connected with and supports proudly is ARIA, the Asian American Real Estate Association. ARIA is another vast network across the country that helps you as a practitioner further understand the AAPI community with thought leadership lectures, with folks that are serving that community in their native language in all parts of the country. NAREB, the National Association of Real Estate Brokers, sometimes referred to as realists, um, is what they call themselves, is the trade organization predominantly focused on the African-American community. A, another wonderful organization to lean into to better understand how you could serve and solve for African-American home ownership opportunities in your market and beyond. The fourth one that I'll call out is the LGBTQ plus Real Estate Alliance, the country's largest LGBTQ plus real estate association, another vibrant group that also will help you understand how that market um, or how that segment of the market really operates and thinks. The beauty of that particular group, and as you think about this from a DNI perspective, is the intersectionality that you find in the LGBTQ+, you, you may not necessarily find in some of the other groups, because in the LGBTQ+, alliance, you'll find LGBTQ+, and not allies, meaning, that are also Latino, that are also African-American, that are also AAPI. So I really, really want to underscore the alliance because that can help you understand multiple cultural dimensions as a practitioner. Those are four of the groups that I would call out right now that are probably have the most prominence across the country that practitioners should definitely lean into. That's awesome. And you you had said, a, a, I think, a, a great uh, keyword there, and that's being an ally. So if you have an organization that you want to be a part of because that's where you want to grow your your who who your staff are or or be able to serve the community um you know like let's say if you look at NARAP you don't need to be able to you don't need to speak Spanish to be part of that organization all of these organizations are inclusive to the allies that want to uh better serve their communities so i thought that was a a, a great comment that that you made there and so with all of these organizations, this is kind of like the outside of from an industry perspective. On the inside, you know, organize you hear a lot of this in larger corporations, but smaller companies usually don't go this route. But there's uh, ERGs or employee resource groups where people get together within a company. You know, I, I, I'd like to see smaller companies engage in that type of getting together. But can you talk a little bit about what you've seen, the value of it, and, and what are some of the takeaways that you've seen in that type of engagement? Absolutely. Happy to share. Actually, as a former leader of an ERG, and in some spaces they're called employee resource groups, ERGs, B 
BRGs, business groups, or the old term is his affinity group, but all three mean the same, which is essentially think about the high school club, if you will, that was, for example, the Spanish club. So just to level set with your audience in terms of what does that mean? Because to your point, some that maybe come from small companies are like, what is an ERG? Because historically, it has been a sort of a privilege for a lot of folks in bigger organizations where there's enough critical mass, where you could have a group that's focused on, for example, Hispanic uh, affinity or Hispanic segment. So I led Allstate's professional Latino Allstate network, an ERG of a thousand members across the country, cross-functional, all corporate employees, none agents at that space. And, and the benefit that we experience at Allstate and also heavily involved, by the way, with the Realogy uh, ERG that we have called One Voice for the Latino segment. The, the beauty for the company is that it serves as a think tank about that market. So we were very deliberate, for example, at Allstate, where the organization came to Plan and said, hey, we need to better serve our Spanish-speaking customer with claims, you know, like your auto accident or your home policy, you need to file a claim. Well, the organization, Allstate Corporate, was savvy enough to use the ERG rather than contract an outside consultant to figure that out. So a team got together, ideated, brainstormed, think tanked in a way that basically gave Allstate the solution. And Allstate put a couple million dollars into that solution to help them figure out how could they better source Spanish-speaking talent to better serve the claims customer experience. As you can imagine, a lot of people will put that they speak Spanish on the application, go through the interview, try to get in there, and then you know, it isn't until the very end that the recruiting hire, the hiring managers, like you don't speak enough Spanish to speak to one of my customers. So that's what we saw for at Allstate. And that those are the kind of problems, business problems that ERGs give value to. Internally, I would say that the biggest benefit is that it gives that group a, a, a safe place to belong, so to speak. So I, I think about the LGBTQ plus affinity groups or ERGs, as you call it, like Members of those communities that join these big organizations that they don't really know who's there, who they could trust, who they may not be able to trust. Well, a lot of times belonging to an ERG will help solve those possible questions or opportunities for you to, to build a small group of allies and friends and connections that can help you understand how to best navigate within that organization. In addition to helping you find mentors and sponsors. I should say that people from all levels of the organizations are involved in the ERGs and cross-functional. I remember vividly when I first joined Realogy as part of the Century 21 company, the first thing I did was reach out to the ERG that I wanted to belong to called One Voice because I knew there were people there that can help me understand the bigger ecosystem that I'm a part of, which is the Realogy family. Because I was getting enough development from Century 21 because of my boss and my peers. But I knew that in order for me to, to really make a bigger impact within the organization, I needed something broader. And that's where I found the value of an ERG to help me with that, with those connections, understanding the landscape. And, and I'm happy to share that I'm still a proud member and joined when I first joined the company and still heavily involved and leaning into even committee work, which is where the fun begins with ERGs, by the way. Awesome. Yeah, that that is uh, that that's uh, I, I've been involved with many throughout my work life. And 
you know, it, it helps build your talent. It helps build your skills. You get it's a, what you had mentioned. It's a it's a safe employee space to to be able to be with people who have like interests, and also from a personal development standpoint, because you you not only have uh, committee members, fellow committee members, but they also become what I would call like mini mentors. You have a community mentor. Um, it's not just like I'm going to get this one big mentor who's the top of their field, but you know it's kind of like they always say it. To, you know, not 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 to not to sound funny, but it's, it takes a village. Uh, but you know, to be mentored to true levels of success, it usually takes a group of people that are going to help you elevate. So that's that's a, a great concept, and and thank you for sharing those insights. So let let's take it to a different perspective. You know, when when you look at uh, DNI, um, you're seeing m- more and more directors, even at the C level, you know, chief diversity officer. Um, it is it is a profession and a field that people can get into and and really invest a career and put a career around it. So just for and you've done that, you know, you're you are a leader in the corporate world as far as being a, a DNI leader and professional. Um, what are the steps that people can take to make turn their passion and devotion to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and actually turn it into a career? The the best recommendation that I have to that answer, Alex, is to share my own journey into how I turned it into a career, and, and in hopes that that inspires others to think about that as a possible path for this if they choose to to lean into this as a profession. I started 20 years ago, over 20 years ago, back in 2000, as a volunteer leader for a diversity organization. That's how my journey started. Back then, it was an organization called Alpha, the Association of Latino Professionals for America, a very, very much like a lot of other trade organizations like NAREP and ARIA and some of the ones that I that I mentioned, but this one focused on corporate accounting and finance professionals like me back then. So I literally just uh, got involved. I I went through a journey in my own professional career where I was getting a lot of technical training from my employers, but not enough soft skill. And I knew that I needed to to have, because of mentors, back to your point earlier, and by the way, that my my, uh, career coach calls it a career board of advisors. Ah, So because of my career board of advisors, my CBA, that's what I knew that they were calling it out. They said, Caesar, you know what? You need to understand how to present well, how to communicate well. Things that were a challenge for me as an immigrant, as English being my second language. But yet I, because of my drive, said, okay, that's what I need. And this is what I want in terms of my end game with my career, which is leadership. Then that's what I'll do. I volunteer with Alpha. And Alpha gave me a lot of a career board of advisors and a lot of self-development. And through that experience where I went for, went for the gold and said, well, I want to be chapter president. And that's what it really exposed me to face-to-face meetings with chief diversity officers at Bank of America, at Deloitte, PricewaterhouseCoopers. All the sponsor that Alpha had for talent were my point of contacts. So meeting with them during conversations, negotiating sponsorships, serving my members and serving these companies with the talent that we would feed them essentially, because Alpha was essentially kind of like a breeding organization for talent for a lot of these Fortune 100 companies. That's how it started. 
From there, when I went to Allstate, again, just like I did at Realogy, raised my hand and said, I want to become part of your ERG. I need a sense of belonging in this 30,000 person organization. So I joined the ERG, again, stepped up to president role. Through that, increased my visibility to executives that became my sponsors. Through that, executives becoming my sponsors, when diversity and inclusion opportunities came up, they're the ones that said, hey, Cesar, there's a DNI role that's about to uh, be open. So they gave me the heads up in advance as being the executives at Allstate and said, you may want to consider applying for it. Yeah, I'd love to learn more about this. I have a passion. That's not what I practice every day, but guess what? That gives me so much energy compared to what I do every day uh, for Allstate back then that I definitely want to put my, in, my, my name in the hat. And their coaching, their mentorship got me into my first formal role at Allstate being a strategy manager for sales diversity recruiting of agents for Allstate Insurance, which is what I did before I came over to Realogy in Century 21. And that's when it became more formal. While I went through a transition, I was a COVID layoff, maybe if you will. COVID happened. I was terminated from Allstate. About 4,000 of us were. And um, that's when I realized, okay, I want to keep this journey, but I want to make a decision to go back to school. So that's when I researched certification programs. I was blessed with the opportunity through Allstate sponsorship to take the certification for DNI through the Society of Human Resources Management Organization. I enrolled through advocacy from my executive coach through the DNI certificate program at Cornell University. So that gave me the chops to complement my my volunteer experience to say, yes, I'm ready. I have the formal education and informal education that need to go hand in hand, I believe, in order for you to be a successful practitioner. And that's part of what got me to where I am today as a director of diversity and inclusion at Century 21. So that's great. And, and so this is, I think, something really important that you mentioned that not only can you do it from volunteerism, being a part of groups and organizations to help build your, your bandwidth in terms of being a leader in this space, um, you could work for any of these, you can volunteer your time at any of these diversity trade organizations. Uh, even myself and, and the village that I live in, I'm a commissioner of the Human Relations Commission, which is uh, related to uh, fair housing and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so there's ways that you can volunteer, but you know, t- making that step to make it a career, and you've done an amazing job with that. But what I, I love the two bits of advice that you gave. There is the certificate. There's actually two certificate programs, I believe, at Cornell University uh, related to diversity and inclusion that are amazing. Um, and and then you also mentioned uh, the one in the what was the organization? It's called uh, the acronym is SHRM, the Society of Human Resources Management. It's it's the association of HR practitioners across the world. Wonderful, wonderful. That yeah. So there's <clears throat> there's ways that you can start getting your certificates so that when you start going turning this into a professional endeavor where you want to make it in career and you have these uh, education and learning opportunities that you've taken advantage of on your resume, that's a big boost uh, to be able to show your expertise. Um, I think another way to show your expertise is to be blogging, posting, podcasting, um, showing your leadership in the area uh, will definitely help at least bring the community of the diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioners together 
Um, and also, I think another important step is you can go and friend uh, Caesar on LinkedIn. And <laughs> I'm sure he will yeah. text you uh, great, great information on on how to uh, build your career as a uh, diversity and equity and inclusion practitioner. You know, so I just take a, a little bit of a turn. You know, for a, a lot of times we'll get um, younger listeners who are getting in or out of college and looking at corporate America. Um, <clears throat> what are some of the things that you've done? through your long, you know, successful career um, to be able to, to drive your career in terms of setting goals, business planning. We live, you mentioned you were, you know, we live in a very uncertain world. You never know what's going to happen. The twists and turns, a pandemic, um, layoffs, you just don't know what the future will bring. But throughout all those twists and turns, you've always been able to keep your mission and career moving forward. Um, what are things that you've done um, to keep your goals in, in check moving forward in business planning? Yeah, powerful question, Alex. I appreciate that because these are two things I'm very passionate about. If there was one thing that I did externally, and I'll share what I did internally as well. So one is related to my mindset and one is that I did sort of tactically to say, okay, what what has been that pivotal piece that might rock, if you will, with regards to my career? And to bottom line it for you and your listeners, it's that I hired a coach. I hired an accountability partner. And for some of you, it could be your spouse. It could be a friend. It could be, you know, I, I made a serious investment in me and said, you know what, let me work with someone that can help me navigate through some of the waters I don't have the answers to. And I don't, have the time to read the books to help me understand what I need to do in these type of situations. So I made a deliberate choice early in my career. And in fact, when I first went to Allstate uh, about 10 years ago was when I started working with a formal coach. Because by the way, you should know that before Allstate, I worked for the city of Chicago, the CTA. So I very mindful that I made a, a harsh transition from public service to a Fortune 100 insurance company. I knew that I didn't know the answers and I needed someone to help me navigate and be successful in this new endeavor that I had in a private setting. So I hired a coach. So I'm blessed that I've worked with him for more than 10 years. And now, of course, he's a friend and a mentor and an advisor. He's been my rock. I meet with him on Sunday mornings as needed at eight o'clock in the morning. And I say, Murray, I need some help with this. Or here's what I have going on. Help me understand. That's been sort of the external thing that I always recommend to especially professionals. I think when you're in the five-year mark, maybe even 10 years out of school, whatever you think is comfortable, and more importantly, you're ready to be coachable, then that's when you should look to engage a coach. If you're not ready to be uh, coachable, if you're really not, don't think you're worth it, so to speak, with regards to the investment that you'll make for this, coaching is not for you. But what I would encourage you to think about that's more internal, maybe for you, and I always share this with my mentees, and it's my mindset, Alex, in terms of what's gotten me to where I am today. And I encourage others to think about it this, this way as well. I have a GPS mindset with everything I do. GPS, G meaning a growth mindset. I'm always learning. I'm always evolving. Yes, I have my accomplishments and certificates in DNI, but guess what? I'm still a student of the business. 
And now I'm still a student of the, of the real estate business because I'm new to this profession. I'm new to this field. So I'm learning. This will be year one for me in February. I'm excited because there's so much more for me to grow. The second thing that represents P out of the GPS would be a positive mindset. Like many of your listeners certainly get beat up every once in a while from leaders, from peers, from everyone. So maintaining a positive mindset for me and saying, what's the possibilities with some of the setbacks that come my way has also been pivotal for me. And the last is something that's near and dear to my heart. And it's, and it's my upbringing and how my mom and dad raised my brother, younger Gustavo and I, my younger brother, Gustavo and I, which is to have a servant leadership mindset, to, to be in that how can I serve? How can I add value? What can I do to make sure that I'm leaving this in a better position? Whether it's somebody from my team or whether it's a project or whether it's my employer, having that GPS mindset, growth, positivity, and servant leadership has been what's helped me internally. Wow, that's fantastic. In fact, that's what, that, that's, uh, what I'm going to title this uh, podcast, GPS Mindset. Love it. Love it. Yeah, That's fantastic. Well, you know, um, it's it's always great to have a, a chance to chat with you. I'm glad this time, you know, just just for the audience, know, I've, I've known Caesar for a long time, and, and every time I have a conversation with you, I, I I wish I was like I wish I could have recorded that because you always come up with these uh, like golden nuggets where I got to like write notes and write down your taglines. I mean, it's just like great stuff. So I just thank you. I'm grateful that you. Uh, uh, came to to be a guest in the, the Digital Salsa Radio uh, podcast. Um, love to have you back again. In fact, man, I, I'm like all in on doing a whole segment on GPS. We have to uh, get uh, take a deeper dive and, and talk about that from a success mindset. Uh, just so for everybody who's listening to the podcast, if you go to the uh, Digital Salsa Radio Facebook page. I will have a link uh, to each of the websites that Caesar mentioned in terms of the diversity trade organizations. And I will have links to the organizations that offer the certificate um, education, Cornell University and, and the other, or other organizations that we mentioned today, and some others as far as resources to getting it, um, your certificate and degree around DNI, if it's a passion for you to get into a career um, uh, focused on, on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So Caesar, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, I know that everybody's connected on LinkedIn nowadays, but um, what's a good way to get a hold of you if anybody has any questions? Absolutely. The social media handles that you just called out. So I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The spelling of my name is Cesar, C-E-S-A-R. Last name is L-O-S-T-A-U-N-A-U. So I think if you just even Google my first and last name, you'll be able to get a hold of all my angles. And I'm happy to report or all my social media handles. Happy to share and, and share more and connect with any of your listeners. It's been a treat to be with you, Alex. Thanks for the time and thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Cesar. Thank you for tuning in to DS Radio, your resource for success. As always, thank you to our guest speakers for their willingness to share their thoughts and ideas. Remember to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. We're very interactive with our subscribers, so don't be afraid to join in on the discussion. Look for us everywhere. DS Radio, we're on the air for success.